Hey, it's Aldwin. And I'm Jason. This is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. We put our shit together so that we can entertain you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come back to life, Dick Edward. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I, think, I feel like it's another ass comment, but... Jason Jason just called you on your bluff, and you, you came back and you called us an albatross? I don't know what that is. Do you know what this is? It's called entertainment in all caps. Time. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Aldwin. And we're joined here by a handsome devil, tennis journalist and friend, Jonathan Scott. Yay! Hey there. So Jonathan is a writer and journalist who has covered our fair sport of tennis for 10 plus years uh, with Tennis Magazine and Tennis Channel and their websites. Uh, And he has written for... um, what, what did you say? A sports meets cultural stories site called Tennis Served Fresh? Yes, TSF. It's uh, an oldie but a goodie. Nice. <laughs> and then uh, you have also been the past committee chair of the USTA committee, USTA Midwest, which is your area in Indiana. Yeah, a social media and web committee specifically. Oh, nice. And you have interviewed goats. You've covered Grand Slam fashion. You've hung out <laughs> the U.S. Open for a few games. Literal and- goats. <laughs> and you represent, uh, uh, you cover unre- underrepresented voices in tennis. So we are very excited to have you because you have a lot of knowledge. And I like to call Jonathan the oracle of tennis knowledge. She is the all-knowing eye. <laughs> we'll see when you hit stop on this recording. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being here because we know it's it's Easter and this is going to come out in a week or so. But, you know, it's nice that you've taken a break from, you know, your husband's delicious dishes to dish some tennis with us. Yeah, I had some great Easter carrot cake last night and this morning for breakfast. Mm, yummy. Oh, so good. Um, we wanted to talk about Miami because it just wrapped up. Um, And our show, we've talked a lot about um, the new crop of players um, and how exciting they are. And I think what was interesting at this event is that we didn't have a chance to see how they would compete with the big three because not one of them was there. And I think that was the first time in like 16 years or something like that. So what was your experience with, with Miami, you know, knowing that none of those players were there for, for quite a long time? Yeah, it was interesting. You see what a post big three world looks like, you know, Andy Murray has kind of gone off the radar and we don't know if he will ever return to that former place of uh, prominence, Um, but really excited about what the future looks like. It's always bright. I mean, there have been so many eras and generations of tennis that it can only be great again in terms of a top rivalry or a top three or four um, on the ATP side, so to speak. And I would say the women's side generally played out like I thought it might, but we'll probably get to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. Um, I didn't necessarily think a ways about any of the big three not being there. Um, you know, Andy Murray, I don't know that he'll necessarily get back. 
um, to his former self or, you know, Vavrenka, who's had the three um, Grand Slams alongside uh, Andy Murray. Um, but yeah, it's nice to sort of see um, these new guys emerge and start to create their own rivalries. Yeah, absolutely. It's really exciting. I mean, center is ni 19. Um, it takes a lot in the year 2021 to be doing major things on the men's tour as a teenager. So major kudos there. And then you have um, the first Polish man ever to win a Masters 1000 title. Super exciting in our post-Radbanska era. Just <laughs> <laughs> say the current the current Schweitek era. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Ruby? We like to call him Ruby Red. I mean, Jason and I have talked about Rublev. I kind of pegged him to be the one to watch in the uh, London finals last year, but he, you know, in the podcast that we uh, covered the London finals, he really looked pedestrian again by Nadal. But, like, do you see him as part of the equation? Like, is he going to be, like, the new David Ferrer of the new generation? <laughs> That's, he's definitely got more weapons than Ferrer, but then everybody did. Ferrer was just the ultimate terrier and had all that hustle and all of that just longevity, both in his career or in any given match on any given day. It's like, that guy's never going to phone it in. In that respect <laughs> of, you know, literally 100% on every – point um i'm not 110 percent give 110 percent kind of person it's like a lot of people just stop giving 80 percent maybe um <laughs> get up there to 100 but yes to that um really exciting but rublev i think it takes so much mental and psychological space in addition to the physical energy it takes so much mental energy to beat those top fellows and so when you mm -hmm. do go up against nadal again talk about somebody who's giving 100 percent all the time um Honestly, I think more so than Novak, more so than anybody out there, because Rafa is literally just a raging bull, quite literally. <laughs> um, but especially considering the event size, the importance of the event as well, you don't want Rafa, you know, in Paris. You don't want Federer on grass. You don't want Novak in Australia or probably not at the year-end championship. So it gets tough for these guys sometimes. And if you get through one, oftentimes you got to go through the other. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask a question. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we covered a snack, our just, you know, kind of fun little term for a cute guy that happens to be super talented in tennis. What do you think about Lorenzo Musetti? I had not heard of him, but I, as soon as I saw him, I wish I had heard of him earlier. But mm -hmm. like, is this like an up and coming sinner? Like, what's your take on this guy? Uh, kind of like Sinner, kind of reminds me a bit, I don't know, a little more of a hair suit, Stefano Tsitsipas, um, <laughs> perhaps just more facial hair, whatever. I don't know an incredible <laughs> lot about him yet, but we're going to learn a lot about him, about Rublev, about all these guys. Like, this really is a, you know, the children are futures kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so excited about that it's there's so much to look forward to in tennis and tennis you know great it's kind of like in the corporate world great leaders always replace themselves whether mm -hmm. it's a for-profit or a non-profit organization or leading whatever sort of org great leaders of the sport are going to replace themselves or just be usurped ultimately you know kind of a student usurps the teacher kind of thing a lot of these guys are practicing the stalwarts the are practicing with the up-and-comers 
the ones newer on the scene. And then later those up and comers get them in a match situation and they want to prove their metal and they will. Yeah. And, you know, the only match again, that nobody wins is against time itself. We saw that with, you know, Kamiko Date. We saw that with everybody. <laughs> We're thinking of a Venus now, I guess too. Yeah. Yes. I was thinking of a Venus quote literally before getting on for this call. And <laughs> oh my God. Love it. you know, it was from, it was from Wimbledon 2016, and she oftentimes has the best chats or the best just parsable, quotable moments. And it was on the BBC five years ago or, what, four and a half years ago at Wimbledon. She said, the first time you win, nobody picks you. The last time you win, nobody picks you. You just have to pick yourself. Oh, my God. That's like moving, moving me to tears. <laughs> it seriously was amazing at the time. And, you know, the next year, 2017, she goes to two major finals and a semifinal, 5-5 in the third at the U.S. Open against Sloan, that mm -hmm. she really could have won and then honestly won the next match probably against the shaky keys. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jay, do you want to talk any more about the men's matches in Miami or shall we go to the women's draw? I mean, I think it's interesting to talk about this. <clears throat> you know, last year everyone was like, Anybody who wins the U.S. Open, there's going to be an asterisk beside their name because the mm. you know, Nadal and Federer aren't there. And I think hopefully we're over that. I think we were over that pretty early. I know we were. Um, but it, it was nice to sort of see these two guys who are friends in the final uh, compete. And they had really great wins. You know, uh, Herkatch beat Shapo. He beat Tsitsipas. And he beat Rublev. And then he beat Sinner. And Sinner had some great wins as well. So... I think it's just nice to sort of see these guys emerge. It, and it's obviously interesting because, you know, the two guys that we thought were the favorites in like Sitsi and Medvedev, they, they went out. So Yeah, and Medvedev went out, what, four and two? Um, yeah. That, that was really surprising, just that he would go out in straights like that because he just seems like another of those indefatigable types who you're going to have to play out. You're going to have to outplay him mentally to get mm -hmm. through the match and that against anybody who's top 30 it's certainly going to be three sets if you actually beat them but four and two is surprising mm -hmm. um i do i mean it is the same kind of talent that's only going to get better and better but it's the same kind of talent that feder nadal djokovic have it just comes under a different name and it's earlier in the career we're looking at like oh three oh four rafa type of mm -hmm. talent right now and yeah you can say a lot about it 15 or more years later yeah. I, sorry, I have a kind of a selfish question to ask. So I don't know whether you know this, but Cece, um, Stephanos and I are celebrating our six month anniversary. Oh, and kudos. Thank you. I mean, he's, it's been really hard because you've been traveling so much. <laughs> but what is, <laughs> what is my boyfriend's problem? Why can't he get his stuff together? Because, you know, we, Jason and I have talked about on the pod how you know, Zverev and uh, Pass are supposed to carry this mantle, become the next top three, but neither of them seem to play well at the same time until Mexico a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Did you, right? Like, what, what do you think it is about CeCe's game, his mental game, that he's missing that, like, last piece? That's a great question, and it's a wonderful dialogue to have. So I think Stefanos is just one of the most brilliant minds out there in the game, but probably in some matches in a different way from like a Benoit pair type, who's probably thinking about 
um, you know, cocktails mid-match and <laughs> where he wants to travel next for pleasure. It's, it's more Stefano's, his mind may be wandering toward literary things or outsized exceptional ideas that are non-tennis just all the time. Like he's so smart. And I think sometimes he even outsmarts himself, but also I think he can get a bit mentally fatigued. And so even recently, like yesterday, I was like, or a couple days ago was tweeting that it just feels like Sitsipas needs to have a bit of a sit and just kind of <laughs> re-energize, recharge and come back stronger. Like maybe he honestly needs to play a bit less and only play a couple events a month or just take that odd week off here or there because he and Alexander Zverev, Sasha, like you said, and others, they just don't have what definitely those top three we've been talking about so much in this chat have, which is just consistency. Mm-hmm. They don't have that. They don't have that yet. Even Dan yeah. doesn't have that yet. And he's, he's sort of floundered the last few months. No, no. I mean, to win his, <clears throat> you know, get his virgin voyage to a grand slam singles title in New York, he went up against the best kind of opposition for that. And it still was, you know, a bit of a nail biter at times for him, but to get Zverev in that final, um, both of their, or Zverev's first final, that was very good for him to just get that first one under his belt and go from there. Mm-hmm. That final, we've talked about that final a lot. I think for a lot of people, it was very difficult <laughs> to watch. <laughs> it was, like, yeah, it was imperfect like, tennis. It was maybe unpretty tennis at times. <laughs> I likened it to like two marathon runners, like hobbling over the finish line. (laughs) It's, it was the getting there for them for sure. But then, you know, those, the, the paychecks didn't hurt. (laughs) That's for sure. Okay. Jonathan, I love kikiing with you about the women's tour. Like, again, (laughs) going back to what we talked about at the beginning of our show, I consider you to be like the encyclopedia of like tennis. So just your depth of knowledge. I'm really looking forward to hearing what your take on the women's draw in Miami was, because obviously there's lots of stories. Um, The first one I want to ask you about is Barty. Personally, because, you know, Jason and I have joked about on the show, I forgot that this girl was number one for a long time. I did. I was like, you know, she's she's playing in in Australia with her niece. You know, she's enjoying her rounds of golf on the on the on the uh-huh. on, on the course. And all of a sudden, you know, she loses unexpectedly to Mukova in, Aus- in the Australian Open. Girl, I didn't expect her to win the Miami Open, but here she came through. So, like, were you surprised? And maybe a little follow up question to you is, you know, a lot of people are complaining that she still holds the number one ranking because it's been protected because of the pandemic. What's your take on her still being the current number one? I mean, great thought. She became number one in 2019. She obviously took off so much of 2020. She didn't want to travel in the COVID-19 era to play tennis, which was understandable just when you're coming from down under. I think people forget how far away Australia is from so many parts of the world. Um, But that consideration, even for an elite athlete who has the funds to get there or anywhere, it was just a lot to do and a lot of airports to go through, a lot of risk to absorb beyond the risk that they're all taking all the time with their travels and going in and out of hotels. It's a lot less sexy aside from very few people, a lot of whom we've talked about so far, to travel and play this sport in a full season around the world. Um, not everybody can be Wozniacki playing 129 events a year. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Yelena Yankovic. <laughs> I think Barty deserves it. No, she won Miami in 2019. And that was the start of such a great play for her. She obviously won Roland Garros from there. Her mm-hmm. uh, major singles title there. She got to, I believe, the fourth round that same year. I could be wrong, but I think the fourth round at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open both. So fourth round, nothing to scoff at. But once you've won a major title, you won't, you don't want fourth round anymore. But still, those were some outsized performances for her. That was still her best Wimbledon. That was her best Wimbledon ever. Um, she obviously didn't play last year. Nobody played Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ash Barty loves Miami. Anybody who's won a tournament before, they come back, they know, they get into a groove, they like it a lot, they enjoy the James Blake-led organization that's going on there because you know that guy who did some a couple years at Harvard runs that like a tight ship, but a really <laughs> lighthearted, fun ship probably too by all accounts and everything I've heard from folks. So that's really exciting, but having won it in 2019, not surprised that Ash won this tournament. The WTA is very come back from a break and win a tournament or come back from losing early, a bit unexpected, but not shocking in your homeland's Grand Slam event like she did. As we know, Sam Stoser and others, it is hard for Aussies to win in Melbourne. Yes, don't lots of pressure. Win. Yeah, they don't do it exceedingly well. And so that wasn't ultra shocking, especially because she was like so not match tough mm-hmm. for the lack of play in 2020. So this was a great uh, turnout for her. Obviously, she had great results. I mean, the Azarenka win, Vika was so strong. Uh, Svitolina was probably thinking about other things that were going to go around her. <laughs> ring finger <laughs> and just what's going on there with the gem life <laughs> the, the wins against the belarusians sabalenka and azarenka those are the big ones there because those two sabalenka and azarenka were so hot like since uh the fall u.s open time mm. so that is i think those are the big things and then if you want Bianca, if you're going to play Bianca, you want to either play her really early or really late in a tournament. You do not want to play her in the middle, like Muguruza, like Muguruza did. It sounded like I got choked yeah. up there. I just need to take. A <laughs> it's emotional. But that for me was the match of the tournament. Um, Andrescu against Muguruthless, who continued <laughs> to be continued to be that in that match, but just got outplayed slightly just like she did in Australia against Naomi. Like she gets through either one of those matches. I think she's the titleist probably at both events. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Talking about someone that was lacking match play, you know, Jason and I were both watching the Shea match that Bianca played in Australia. I am a huge fan of Shea and I want to get your opinion on her as just, you know, an entertainer, a tennis player and whatnot. But, you know, I didn't know that this was going to be BB's tournament to kind of say, guys, I never left. I'm a U.S. Open champion. Like, how did you find, did you find that she kind of worked her way through the draw and like found herself? Um, I didn't expect her to come back so quickly. Was it a surprise for you that she made the final? That Bianca made the Miami final? Yeah. Uh, I would say yes on the level of everything that came before that. I mean, if she had gotten Garbina later in the event, I have to think that the Spaniard would have won that match, but because that was what the, was it the round of uh, 16 that Mm -hmm. she got um, Muguruza? That was 
I mean, if she got her in the semis or final, Garbina's winning that match because Bianca just had so many miles or kilometers, um, sorry, <laughs> um, under, under her feet at that point and was just going to be bedraggled from an energy standpoint, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Garbina's just running into kind of the wrong hot player at the wrong time who is managing to out hit her but I love those matchups of the super hitters you know what Mary Carrillo called big babe tennis back yes (laughs) absolutely what are your thoughts on like Aldo and I talk a lot about how there isn't the same consistency on the women's events it seems like there's a different winner sort of every other week and you know players who are in the top like Pliskova and Svitolina can't seem to win and you know Kerber's on her way out it seems do you think we're in do you think some of these players like Barty like Osaka um like Bianca who can be the graphs and Celeses and who can win more consistently Wow, great question. I mean, Steffi and Monica entered next to everything as well, like Arancha and so many around them at the time, you know, the Maliva sisters and <laughs> everybody else who had that grand, just 90s time of women's tennis. You know, people probably thought when, um, you know, Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova were toward the twilight of their career that, oh no, what will be next for women's tennis? Well, look what we got. Um, hopefully the same will be true of the post big three era on the men's side. But I, I don't think that they're going to ever reign over tennis like, you know, Chris and Martina did or Steffi and Monica basically winning anything they entered. One of the two of them is going to win it typically or they're going to meet in the semis and or final of everything like ever in Navratilova playing what squaring off like 80 or 80 odd times against each other. I think Bianca is on the same level of Stefanos where needs to definitely take that week off here or there or only play an event or two a month. And she certainly does that. And injuries have been that thing that have really been besieging her so far. Mm-hmm. So that's really tough. It's kind of like her body has been forcing her to take off the time that some others need to, frankly. <laughs> um, maybe they just miss tennis so much they're trying to get a lot back in to peak in the clay court season or clay to grass at the right time. But that gets tough. I don't think any of them are going to be so consistent that they own it like Monica or Stephanie uh, turned Stephanie did. I think it's going to be the case where it's like Ash wins here, Naomi over here, um, Garbina here, perhaps like a Vika type. I'd love to see that from the veteran um, who obviously has the shots. We saw that in New York. Um, I'd love to see them do that, but the WTA is very much the parody of winners right now and parody in the sport is not a bad thing. No one needs to be soaking up all the ranking points and all the dollars like the big three do in ATP so much. Like if you look at what they've made within the lines of the court over time, like they have gobbled up so much of the prize money that so many others in the future will definitely benefit um, from definitely, at least in the back half of this decade, certainly. Um, no one's going to be that consistent on the WTA as they're like those nineties all-stars or what we have from some of the current guys who, you know, you see Rafa and Novak taking some time off. Rafa's mm-hmm. just getting ready for clay really smart. Why should he go to Miami and potentially get injured only to turn around and play a bunch of clay events? Yeah. yeah I, you know, going back to your comment about big babe tennis, I mean, that's when I, 
you know, I am a child of the generation of big babe tennis, like Lindsay <laughs> Davenport, Mary Pierce, you know, Monica, um, uh, Amy Frazier. I, like, I love just the, I know, right? <laughs> like hard hitting flat. Like, uh, is there, do you think that the reason why people like players like Bianca and um, like Shay to a lesser degree are causing so many troubles for just your re- like hard hitting players like Muguruza is because they have more variety? Definitely. I mean, I think Bianca's a hitter, but she has that, variety with those you know slice forehands and the drop shots and the stuff like it's brilliant to watch because not everybody can do that and she's making a lot of people look temporarily foolish and it's really cool <laughs> Shay is just doing that on every other point you know she's, she's making someone look foolish and then getting aced and then making someone look foolish and then just a winner's getting blasted past her um all the while she's wearing five different brands on her body <laughs> during the match. And yet her Australian quarterfinal run was one of the, just one of my most favorite inspired things I've seen in some time in tennis. And it's probably in part because we got such a dearth of tennis in 2020, but mm-hmm. it really had so much heart. She also talking about Venus earlier and being so readily quotable, Shay on a microphone is everything. And we need more of that. last question before we get into our top three moments which was part of why we wanted to come together um i think someone's going to talk about osaka i assume but one of the things that we've talked about osaka is that she seems to be able to get (laughs) in the grand slams but at the the other events like she's won more grand slams than other events. So. Right, four of her seven titles. Yeah. So what? What up? What up with that? <laughs> and put another way, what? What's down with that? Um, <laughs> it's not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, does she come on the scene and win Indian Wells surprisingly and have you know one of the best slash worst acceptance, you know, <laughs> champion speeches ever? Yeah, she did that thing, but it was. Great at the same time, because you just, I mean, that was very stars born aside from her winning her actual first major. Um, she's obviously had a, even in winning some real dips like that Serena final in New York, you wouldn't wish that atmosphere on anyone winning a major title. Um, really unfortunate, but that was a variety of factors that aren't worth belaboring right now because it's all been beat into the ground. But that I would say, as Naomi goes, she's going to be that player who rises to the big events. Serena has done that, you know, at least since 2010, if not sooner. Like, look at how calculated Venus and Serena have been at their schedules um, over time, even since the 2000s. And they took a lot of hits, and there were a lot of people tweaking them about that. Um, That's okay, but look at them now. They're 39 and 40. Serena will be 40 in September, and they're still going, you know, Venus is down in the rankings, but nobody wants to play her necessarily. Um, Serena is still such a, you know, all caps wild card at every event she enters. You know, players have to be thinking, am I going to get pummeled or am I going to get her on an off day? Um, But it's really interesting. And that just longevity is admirable because early on people were like, do they love tennis? Will they stick around? We're in the 2020s and they're still playing professional tennis. And the WTA, the sponsors, the broadcast, 
networks. Everybody is benefiting from that and they better be very happy. Yes. Um, but That's Naomi herself, you can't front on her just rising to the occasion at the right time. She needs to show herself at this point off of hardcore majors and just off of hard courts in general, because she said in Miami, I wrote a story about this for um, our baseline website at Tennis uh, Magazine and Tennis Channel. She finds clay and grass to be curious still. And so this year we'll be telling to see if she has a bit of a transformation. Mm -hmm. She feels the same way about grass like Conchita Martinez did before she won her 94 Wimbledon. She said grass is for cows. Is that, is, that what is that the same idea? <laughs> right. And you know, right. Exactly. Same thing like Sharapova saying that she was like a cow on ice on clay. <laughs> Naomi has to figure out those two surfaces to really become that varied all-time great. It's def it feels like it's a sure thing to happen just by mm -hmm. sheer force of her will and determination in the mindset that she has. Um, but she'll have to get there. I still rue the day. Um, <laughs> That Conchita won the 94 Wimbledon title. <laughs> Monica Salas never won a Wimbledon title, but Conchita has won over Navratilova, who was amazing at the time, like 94 and me reaching the Wimbledon finals, but obviously was not at the apex of her career at the time. Yeah. Oh my God, I want to ask you a question. You know what? I'm sorry, Jason. I have to ask him this question. It's just a no. guilty pleasure of mine. The 1992 Women's Wimbledon final is my favorite final to watch because I'm a huge Steffi Graf fan. But of course, you know, you being all seeing Oracle, you know, a lot of people have said that th the reason why Steffi was, I mean, I think Steffi came into that final having so much. Um, wanting so much vengeance from losing the 92 French final. But also, you know, a lot of people were saying that Monica's play was affected because that was obviously the famous semifinal where Navratilova was like, you better, she's screaming. You better, you know, ask her to stop screaming. So do you think that Monica came into that final not being her true self and therefore was, you know, didn't play to her best level? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can tell I mean your rhythm is off your breathing is off so many things are off and people just in our regular lives even in quarantine and a work from home situation oftentimes and so on I noticed how I was breathing differently or sometimes even like holding my breath about what was going on in our country the United States with just everything from uh, political situations to Black Lives Matter and so on you realize you know whether you're working and upright or you're trying to go to sleep at night whatever, just like, wow, this is some like strangely stressed breathing I'm doing on court in a tennis match, whether you are a club player, a weekend hacker, or you're a professional elite athlete, breathing is so huge. And to be thrown off like that, and in retrospect, does anybody think Navratilova was in the right? I would probably say no. I'd love to see a poll on that. I'd love to hear Navratilova even say if she stands by that, because it was nothing new. Right. So why would you say it at that juncture? That was somebody who was mad about getting beaten, mm -hmm. being in the process of getting beaten and having lost. Um, and it did affect her. And she had every right to do what she had done in the previous six matches at that point. She didn't. So yes, she wins. What was it? Like, was it three games in the final? Two and one. She lost yeah. two and one. Yeah. I'm so happy I got to ask you that question. Oh my God. Well, uh, being a fellow, you're always on with the two hands on both sides. <laughs> and I've, I've been trying to, you know, lift a modicum of weights 
in this <laughs> this coronavirus era and try to take you know the 2.3 times I've played tennis in the last year I've tried to play a one-handed forehand more and more again back to what I used to do but I still yeah. go back and forth with it but yes two two-fisted on both wings my friend I rem listen, just to add a, insert a little, you know, personal comment here. J um, Jonathan and I played at the CGO and his two, no, his two handed shots on both sides are precise, mm -hmm. seriously. So precise. So I, I mean, I've transitioned to a one handed forehand, but like, girl, I, think you should build I know, I know she's this, this little Jason has seen it already. So yeah, I'm glad to hear about your forehand journey. <laughs> um, it's nice that you say that those were precise shots because that was literally the first on our little GLTA world tour. That was literally the first event I ever played two-handed on both sides. Uh, really? Yeah. And I'd literally been doing it for four weeks. <laughs> and I was oh, just you like, you know what? Let's go to another country and play a tournament <laughs> and just give them something to talk about. <laughs> I remember playing you in 2017 in your hometown, and I remember being told to keep it away from your backhand. So that's why. Oh, I yeah. I mean, you guys have seen my serve. I would serve backhands if I could. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can look at look at um, what's his name? A Bublik. You can you can certainly do that if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bublik in the underhand serving, the guile, the kind of magician kind of thing he's doing of just tricking people, you know, on grass at the Newport uh, championships to the Hall of Fame where he's had some measure of success and so on. Like, it's really interesting. And, you know, I'm on the board for Rajiv Ram's um, nonprofit entourage for kids. And I had a conversation or two with him about it. Like, hey, man, because he has an exceptional serve, obviously. And it's, you know, quite literally serving him well through all these titles that he's racking up and majors he's winning. I said, you know, what should I do? My serve is in tatters. My serve is literally in purgatory. I can't bring it back from that. Should I just like sever my arm and get a bionic <laughs> arm attached and see if people will let me play with that? And he said, you know what? There is no shame in the game of serving underhand, especially if you're doing it with some frequency in a match. They know it's coming. It's not like you're trying to be shifty. You're not trying to be shady. He was like, forget them if they can't take it or they can't respond to it and defeat you. Like Curios and Bublik, we definitely encourage Jonathan to use his underarm serve. Tune in next week for part two of our conversation as we review our top three stories of the tennis world in 2021 thus far. Until next week, deuces! We're here for your tennis-tainment, or your tentertainment, or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five-star review and like, share, and subscribe, and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.